Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. It is a Thursday afternoon, so hopefully people had enough time to get their questions in, but let's jump in and see what we got. First up, the Remora wanted to follow up from the conversation last week about converting HDMI to S-Video or composite with no latency, and I asked for more details to make sure that that's the best solution or if it's even possible in the scenario you're looking for, and I don't think that's the scenario for you. Let me explain. The Remora said they were thinking of splitting the signal from their Tink 5X to send clean HDMI across their basement to the CRT at their computer desk. Then they'd be able to play on the CRT instead of firing up their whole entertainment system. The CRT only has comp uh, composite input, not S-Video or component, um, and most of their consoles are using HD Retrovision component video cables, and one has S-Video. So in this scenario, while it may be possible to do what you're talking about, I think there is a much cheaper and less complicated solution. So you could end up doing this, by the way. You could probably route everything through the Tink 5X, HDMI splitter out, one goes to something. Uh, the Extrems was talking to me the other day about using the Blackmagic Intensity Shuttle, a capture card, to convert HDMI to composite or S-video. I think it would have to be the same resolution. I don't think it would downscale without latency. I've never tried, though. To be honest, I don't like Blackmagic products. They're excellent, but they're just not not for me. I don't like being stuck in their format uh, for recording. I don't like a lot of the interface that they have and how it works with OBS. I'm probably the odd man out on this one. I'm sure a lot of people love it, but I don't. So I'll leave a link to that in case you're interested. So you could do all of this stuff, but you made the point of now you could do this without firing up your whole entertainment system. Well, you would still need to turn it all on because then you would need to fire up the Tank 5X, set it to either pass-through or downscaling mode. I mean, you would still require a lot of equipment. And at the end of the day, what might be much cheaper is picking up a couple of triad power supplies and a couple of composite video cables. And whenever you just want to use the CRT, grab whatever console you have, unplug power and uh, HD retrovision, walk it over to the other CRT, plug in power and composite that you already have sitting there and fire it up that way. Um, yes, you would, if to, to make it easy, you could buy extra power supplies, which you would now end up with spare PSUs for each console. So that would be a little costly. And you might have to buy composite cables if you don't have them, but that's probably going to be cheaper than buying any one of the other solutions you might need to do this any other way. Uh, even just picking up a Coreu transcoder to get your one S-Video console to component video, and then picking up a component video switch that has two outputs and then trying to get a component to composite converter, like you're talking a lot of money and stuff that while I often use the term like a fun tool to have in your toolbox, you might never need any of that stuff. So please keep asking the question. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm forgetting something. I'm only human. I forget stuff all the time. But I think in your scenario, having your awesome big entertainment center set up with surround sound and a flat panel and a Tink 5X, and that's how you sink in when you really want to play these games. I think that's awesome. But for those moments where you're like, ah, eh, I just want to play a couple rounds of Tetris on a CRT, bringing your console over, plugging it in and just playing for you know 20 minutes, I think that might actually be less time and a lot less money just moving a console over than always having to flip switches and turn things on. But please let me know if I got that wrong. I'm, uh, I'd, I'd love to keep talking about it if there's something more I could offer, but my gut's telling me that's probably the best way to go for you. 
Next up, Captain Retro wants to know if I have a recommendation of an HDMI switch to use with a RetroTINK 4K. They're just going to be using it for PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Wii, and Switch. Their analog inputs are already set up through a crosspoint. So they just need a simple four-in, one-out HDMI switch. I have a strong opinion on this. Get the cheapest one you could find on Amazon. If one happens to have a remote control with it and in auto switching mode, cool. But the cheapest one you could find should be perfect. You're not going to worry about latency because there's not going to be any buffering in a cheap switch. Um, compatibility should be fine for all those consoles because you're not sending weird non-standard resolutions like you would with original consoles in no SSC or Mr. Indirect Video mode or something. So I think that's that's really the best bet. And I'm not even going to leave a link to uh, to any of the ones that I use just because I'm serious what I mean. Just get the cheapest one out there and you should be totally fine. As a note, though, I am going to go back and revisit HDMI stuff with the Tink 4K because almost everything I recommended, or at least the two Matrix switches I recommended in that other video, are have been sold out forever. And some of the newer ones that I've tried have had some work, some don't, some have issues. So I want to revisit that, especially in the context of the Tink 4K, so I could help people out with it. But it's um it's kind of been a bumpy road for that. So for what you're talking about, basic switch, cheap as possible. And then in the future, maybe if you start want to start to integrate other stuff into it, hopefully I could find a really cool HDMI matrix switch or some other things that we could use as well. But yeah, I think that would be it. The only thing you have to worry about as well is the PS3 has the HDCP protection. So you might actually need to run it through some kind of HDCP stripper. And that's when it gets into stuff that I was just mentioning that it gets weird. Some, some of these HDMI switches that have that capability don't work well with scalers and other devices. So try the cheapest switch you can for now, and then we'll kind of go from there. And you might have to use your PS3 with component video cables temporarily, or if you have an HD, uh, HDCP stripper of any kind, that should definitely work. Some of those little EDID dongles supposedly do strip HDCP. I bought a couple and none did. <laughs> it's my luck, right? But so you might want to look into that for your PS3 just as a, a quick and easy way to do it. But Cheapest switch you could find, sit tight, and hopefully I could find some solid, reliable ones for us for a little more complicated stuff, including PS3 support. Next up, Tony Escobar wants to know how you access archived blogs on RetroRGB.com. They typically see only the past week's worth on the homepage. So I definitely suggest using the search bar for that. If you click on the little menu icon on mobile and on desktop, you should see in the drop-down menu or the, the pop-out menu, uh, there's a search bar, and that's how you could access everything. That's how I personally access it. And I did try using hashtags for a while, but it was not any easier to search for stuff than it was just using that search function. But if there's anybody else out there that runs websites or something like that, please let me know. If I'm missing something, I'd be happy to look into it. But just using the search definitely has worked for me in the past. And most of the time, within the first two pages, I find what I'm looking for. Sometimes I'll try to reword the search or separate words or whatever else and kind of try again. But it's, I've had very good luck with that. But I'm all ears. Anybody has any suggestions or if you think that's not working, let me know. Next up, Weijlo is building their second mister, and they want to know if you need a fan in order to keep it cool. This one's just for fun, so it's not like they'll have it on for long periods of time. So I think it's a good idea. I have a prototype retro castle case that is fanless that gets hot, but never too hot, even when I 
accidentally leave it on overnight with a game running in its title screen or something like that. I do know that Pork's aluminum design uh, is fanless, and people have had mixed opinions on that. Most people think it's fine. Some people said it got way too hot, but they might also live in a hotter climate. So that's certainly something that has to that factors in. But unless you live in a very hot and humid climate, um, and if it's not in a tight area, like if it's sitting on a desk in a well-ventilated area, you should be okay. But if you're building one or if you're buying a kit, I would just put it in. That's one of those peace of mind things where like the RetroTINK 4K I would in the OSSC Pro, I wouldn't add fans to those if I was just leaving them on my shelf. I don't think it's necessary at all. And I wouldn't even really think about it. But with the Mr., I would, and I don't know why. I, I think I think it just has the potential to get much hotter than those other devices. And even if it doesn't, the potential's there. A fan is super cheap. You can get one of those very quiet ones that ba you barely even know it's spinning up. So yeah, I would I would try to look into getting a case that does have a fan. And I'll leave a link to the Retro Castle ones because those have been my favorites for a long time. And I believe all the ones on the store do have a fan. I think I just got a kind of neat prototype here that Ivory wanted me to check out. So yeah, I would say you don't need a fan, but I would definitely use one. Next, Jason Guffey wants to know if PC microphones like the Blue Yeti have magnets that mess with CRT monitors the same way unshielded speakers do. They're pretty sure they have electromagnets inside, just not sure how strong. If, show, if so, how do I suggest they place or mount a mic on their desk so it won't interfere with their CRTs? So that's an excellent question. I have no idea. The mic that I have here is never next to a CRT, and I've never noticed any interference. I would absolutely do the exact same things I would mention for CRT or for regular speakers next to CRTs. Get a phone with a magnetic field detector, an EMF detector, because phones with GPSs have magnets in them, so you could use that. It's not. I wouldn't only use that method, but it's been incredibly helpful when I go to a thrift store and I see a couple of cool looking speakers and I wave my phone around it. And if the little meter jumps, I'm like, okay, not shielded. And if they don't, which is usually desktop computer speakers, then I know I have an option for something. But once you get it home, always do the fire up a white screen or a color bar or, or both one at a time and wave the microphone around it. And I have a very unscientific method that could be total bullshit. So please take this with a grain of salt. But twice the distance from when you stop seeing interference is my personal um, choice for unshielded speakers. So let's just say you, uh, you do all of the tests that I do, you know, you have a manual camera recording video, you walk the speaker over to it. So you see the interface interference, you pull it back till it doesn't you check the footage because that was the, I know I've told this before, but I have to repeat myself when I was messing with the subwoofer over there. I took before and after pictures that I thought looked the same. So I let it run with exactly what I just said, video running in manual mode. And then I took a screenshot of the first and last picture and put them together. And there was still a little bit of discoloration, which means even though it was only small, it was going to be constantly messing with it. So I, that's what ended up having to get another subwoofer here. But in that case, twice the distance away. So if it was three feet away and I could barely see any interference, I would put it six feet away. Or if it's one foot, two feet. But once again, I made that up. I have no idea if that's fair. I have no idea if you're still causing some kind of interference. With my very limited knowledge of how magnetic fields work, 
I think that's okay, but I always want to be blunt about when I'm guessing or when I actually know the real answer to something. So if your mic interferes with it, I would say keep it twice the distance away from when it stops interfering it, but that's totally up to you to decide. And uh, it's that's kind of makes me curious. Now I want to just grab my, my mic and run over to a CRT and see if I could get any discoloration, but basic testing and you should be totally cool. Well, that's it for this week. I knew it was going to be a short one because usually holiday weeks, people have families over and they don't have time for extra stuff. So thanks to the people who did participate. And if you have any questions, ask any question you would like wherever it is that you support. Just please ask in the latest Q&A post, like, you know, click if you clicked on this one, ask the question there. Because the way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, I really just like scrolling through in real time, having a conversation as if we were hanging out at a bar or a coffee shop or something together. Uh, and as always, anywhere you support, ask the questions. This is supposed to be a thank you to the monthly supporters and the people who help out. Uh, but it's usually only Patreon questions, just simply because there's so much more people that support there than other places. But you're all equally awesome. There's no favoritism there. It's just wherever you support, ask the question. So thank you all very much. And I will see you all next year.